Well, welcome everyone. Thanks so much for being here in person or joining in online. Welcome to October. Ready or not, here we are. Some of you are ready. Some of you are hesitant about October. There's nothing wrong with October. It's not going to bite you. It's a wonderful thing. We're glad that you're here with us, joining in whatever capacity that you're able to do. So I just want to celebrate right off the start. We're uh, reopening some preschool ministry here at the church right now. So if you are in at that age range, as well as any other age range of kid up to grade five, man, we've got awesome stuff happening for you right here in the moment. And those of you who are tuning in online at home, don't forget, go to centennialroad.com and you can participate with all those things going on just by clicking on the watch now button under the Sea Road Kids logo. We're starting this brand new series called Rules of Engagement and it's going to be preparing us for spiritual warfare, because like it or not, we're going to face challenges in our life. I remember back in high school, I had the privilege of being coached by a former Canadian men's national team member, Rommel Raffin. You can look him up on Wikipedia. I'm not lying. It's legit. It's true. Back in the 80s, Mr. Raffin, he served on that team, and he was a fantastic individual to be around. He was so intelligent about the game it was incredible to be coached by him. Every single game that we went into, no matter what the challenge was that we were facing on the court, we felt prepared because he was a brilliant strategist. He came up with game plan after game plan after game plan that we could implement whatever we were playing, whether that was a tournament, a regular season game, whether we had played that opponent before or never had defeated that opponent previously. We went undefeated under Rommel Raffin's leadership. It was unbelievable, best time of my life as an athlete. It all went downhill from there. It's a wonderful thing. The truth is, life is gonna be full of challenges. If I ask for a show of hands in this moment and even online, how many of us right now are facing a challenge of some kind? Maybe it's a tragedy, maybe it's a financial crisis, a relational crisis. The truth is about life, it's gonna be one challenge after another that we bump up against, regardless of what month of the year it is, regardless of what time it is, regardless of how much good we are doing, we're going to be facing challenges. And it's in those moments we need to be ready. Because how we respond and how we live could make all the difference, not only for ourselves, but for someone else who is watching us go through the challenges that we are facing. We need, to, we need to be ready through rules of engagement, prepared for the spiritual battles that we're going to be facing. Over the next number of weeks, we're going to dive into some strategic elements of what it looks like and what it means for us to be ready to the best of our ability. And today we're going to talk all about our mind. Because 90% of the time when we're facing a challenge, the hard work happens right up here. Right in the spaces where nobody else has privy to Right in the spaces, the thoughts, the ideas that only God sees and we allow. And it's in those moments and those spaces that we want to make sure that we are winning the mind games. So we're going to go to the Bible. We're going to go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. We're going to look at the first two verses of this text. If you've got a, a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn there with me. Keep it open. We're going to be diving back into those verses, referring back to them a whole bunch of times. If you've got a digital device and you want to participate on our online Version live event, you can go to the Version app. You can click on the More section, Events, 
Sea Road Live is going to pop up. You're going to have sermon notes there. You're going to have the scripture there. It's going to be a wonderful time to just connect with each other. The book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, all of, because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I want to talk about a four-part strategy that these verses highlight for us that if you and I would implement right now here in this moment and start practicing, we would be ready to win more mind games than we would lose in our own personal selves. The first big point that we're going to talk about is willingness. Now, just a caveat to this whole strategy, this ends and begins with Jesus, if you want to win mind games in your world, Jesus has to be a part of the equation. If you are trying to win a game without him in your presence, good luck to you. It will not happen. Jesus is the source of victory. Jesus is the source of hope. Jesus gives you purpose in the darkest of moments and seasons. Without him, you will be lost alone and afraid and will stay stuck there. No matter how hard you try, you will stay stuck in that moment unless he is leading you forward. Don't believe me? Just watch our culture today. We can try a whole bunch of different things, and they all lead to the same place, a place of desperation and desolation, of disillusionment, of frustration, of anger, of pain, and no one there to help. It starts with Jesus, this willingness that we've got to submit all of ourselves, all of our being, and in particular, our mind to who he is. Running it through like a filter or a funnel. We've got a pool in my backyard, and when the filter is working well, the water looks awesome. When the filter is not working well, it looks like swamp water. And nobody wants to swim in swamp water. That's exactly what happens to our brains when we don't filter the thoughts that we allow ourselves to think. The first filter that we need to run it through is Jesus. Would Jesus give credence to this thought that we are thinking? Would he give it time? Would he give it effort and energy? Would he focus on it or would he just push it to the side and not let it control him or consume him? Are we willing to take all of our thought life and take it to Jesus? Like some of the big questions that we're wrestling with right now. Should I get vaccinated or should I stay unvaccinated? Should I tell my, my fiance that I love them or should I not? Some of our high school guys in high school and young adult guys are thinking about like, I got this crush, is now the time to take a little bit of courage and tell this person that... I think they're amazing, and God told me to marry you. Should I do that? All of those thoughts that are consuming our brains, whatever is flooding through our hearts and our minds, do we allow that? Are we willing to submit it to Jesus? And here's the thing about willingness. It's a choice. It is a choice. We live in a world where we can argue for days whether or not we have the freedom or right to choose 
But when it comes to Jesus, you always have the right to choose. He doesn't force himself on you. He doesn't say you have to think this way. He says, look, I'm here. And if you are willing, I will transform the way that you think. I will right-size it according to my priorities, according to God's heart for the world, and I will help you no matter what challenge you're facing in the moment. But you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. I remember sitting in these team practices where we were going through these strategy elements that Raffin was writing up and all these different plays and stuff like that. And unless we were willing to submit ourselves to that playbook, it wouldn't make any difference. It wouldn't have made any difference at all how brilliant a strategist he was unless we were willing. And the problem is, sometimes you and I, we don't want to be willing anymore. It's too hard. It's too much. It's too soon. We've just recovered from another challenge. Why are we in yet another subsequent one? It's too hard. It's frustrating. And we're just like, I don't know if I can do it anymore. It's even in that space, even in that moment, even in that mindset, if you and I would just be willing, that could be the game-changing moment that we've been waiting for. Now, when we've decided one way or the other, if we're going to be willing to submit our thought life, the way we think, to Jesus, phase two of the strategy is all about togetherness togetherness. It's another word for unity. Here's the thing. You and I think a billion thoughts every moment of the day on a wide variety of topics from food to relationships to finances to everything in between. All the thoughts that we think don't all have value and credence. They don't, they shouldn't be what we focus on, our intentionality, our effort, our energy. Some of them are helpful, some of them are not. So the next grid or filter in our strategy is all about togetherness. Should we fixate on a thought that we're having? Answer this question. Does it bring me together or unity or closer to God and other people? Let me give you an example. We might have a frustration with how somebody dresses. We might be looking at them and be like, mm, you cannot wear that. That is not flattering to your figure. Now you can have that thought in your brain. And many of us have those different, differing thoughts in our brains. However, sometimes we act on those thoughts in our brains and it's not helpful. Imagine going up to that person and saying, yo, Daniel, mm, that does not suit you, my friend. There's a time and a place for that. If it's going to bring me together and unity and closer with Daniel, closer with God, then maybe I need to act on that thought. But nine times out of ten, the thoughts that we have don't do that. The opinions that we have don't do that. We see somebody who's parenting their child and they're like, ooh, I would do that differently. And we go give them a piece of our mind. That's not helpful in the moment. There are rare occasions and rare times where we are empowered and sent by God to speak into destructive moments. Those are possible. Those do happen. But more often than not, we aren't the ones that are sent with the message. Instead, we are the ones that are supposed to live the message. 
and through that earn the right to be heard by somebody else who may be stuck in a moment similar to what we were stuck in previously. This togetherness, this unity, and that's exactly what the enemy attacks, togetherness and unity. I can remember being on the basketball court and knowing what my position was and what I needed to do on a certain play and knowing when, where my other teammates were supposed to be. And unless we all played our roles, guess what happened? It was chaos. If we weren't working together, it didn't work. The scripture's chocked full of moment after moment where we're encouraged as the body of believers, the body of Christ, to be known for the way that we love one another to be known for our unity. Now, unity does not mean uniformity, does not mean that you can't have a differing opinion and differing thought, but when those differences arise, how do we live in spite of them? Do you force your thought, your opinion on somebody else? That doesn't go well, does it? Imagine when people try to do that to you. Does that go well? No. Our thought life, our habits that we form, are they bringing us together with God, unity with God, unity with other people? If they are, then their thoughts worth thinking. If they're not, we need to move to phase three. Phase three is all about repentance. And repentance is a big fancy word that means this, changing the way that we think. Changing the way that we think. If we want to have the mind of Christ, if we want to pattern ourselves after the life of Jesus, we need to get used to repentance. We need, we need to get used to changing the way that we think often. Because a lot of times you and I aren't thinking the right things. We might be thinking to ourselves, man, why don't they use this translation of scripture? It's my preferred one. Does it matter? We might be thinking to ourselves, man, why doesn't everybody in the whole world get mandated to be vaccinated? Does it actually matter? Sometimes we have to change the way that we think as we submit our thought lives to Jesus, as we discern whether or not that thought that we are having is bringing people together or alienating them further from one another, if it's bringing us closer to God or helping us run away from God. And then we have to repent when we find ourselves in a moment where our thought life is leading us down a path that is opposite of where Jesus is. We've got to change the way that we think. It's a beautiful gift that we've been given, these minds that we've been blessed with. We've been created to think and dream and move. But not everything that we think about is worth thinking through, is worth focusing on. It's actually worth our effort, our time, our energy. It's just not there. So for many of us, we have to learn to repent. I know I do, daily. I've got a thought about somebody and I think it's the right thing and I know what they should do and then the, that, that other thought hits me of like, oh, I'm not Jesus. That's not my role or my responsibility. I need to change the way that I think. I need to repent. I need to let go and let God I need to ensure that what I'm focusing on actually, truly matters. It's the way I think. 
helping me love God and love other people more intentionally? Or is it alienating me from everybody else? It's a beautiful gift to be able to think and to dream. But it's right in those thoughts that the battle rages the most intensely. And unless we are in the habit and the practice, unless we've got the game plan and the strategy to combat what the enemy is going to throw at us right in our minds and in our brains and in our heads, thoughts like, God doesn't care about me anymore. When did he ever say that? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. What does that mean? That means we're going to face challenges whether we like it or not. The world in which we live isn't perfect. It's going to be filled with hardship after hardship. And it's going to be exhausting at times. But take heart. Because Jesus has overcome the world. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's caring for you right in the middle of your pain. We'll have other crazy thoughts that enter our brains that just aren't right. They're not from God. They're not true. They're not based in scripture. And then in those moments, we're going to have an opportunity to change the way that we think, to repent, to let go, to let God, to see things the way he wants us to see. Part four of the strategy is what the author Paul kind of closes out this section of scripture with. Talks about the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Part four of this strategy in winning the mind games is understanding that there is a default setting, if I can call it that, in the way that God sees you and I and the way that he approaches life with you and I. And it's always steeped in what is good, what is perfect, and what is pleasing. Always steeped in that. And it's really hard to rationalize sometimes because the tragedy, the tension, the, the challenge that we're going through doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel perfect. And it's definitely not pleasing to us. So how then is God in all of that? Because his default setting toward, towards us is that he sees the whole picture far beyond the moment in time that we are in when we're weathering the storm that is around us, inside us, or ex existentially around us. And he can see that even in the midst of all of that, there's something good and pleasing and perfect that has been grown and developed That's a simple four-part strategy. There's rules of engagement that you and I, if we implement into our lives, we can, we can win more mind games than we can lose. And trust me, I'm right in the middle of one right now. This week on Wednesday, we found out that my brother-in-law had a tragic work accident. And he lost his life. I had the unfortunate privilege of being able to share with my kids that their favorite Uncle Clinton was no longer with them. And in the moment of that pain and that frustration and that anger and everything that comes when you're in a moment like that, I got to tell you, the, the thoughts that flooded my brain were not pretty. 
I got to walk this out in real time. Surrendering all of those to Jesus. You know what the cool thing is about God? He's big enough to handle it all. When you're angry and frustrated, when you're filled with pain, when you're filled with just absolute rage, uncertainty, confusion, you name it. If we are willing to submit that thought to Jesus, he can help us walk through the process of healing and victory in the moment. Victory in the moment. Winning that mind game. Moment after moment after moment. Winning and winning and winning. And the victory is not ours alone to claim. It is the Lord's to claim. That's his hope, his purpose, his passion for you and I. That we would know that his will is good and pleasing and perfect despite the challenges, the pains, the frustrations, and everything else that is tossed to us that we have to endure along the way. But we are not alone. And if we would be willing to surrender our thought life, if we would be willing to allow it to build bridges of togetherness and unity, if we would be willing to repent when we need to change the way that we're thinking in the moment because it's just not true, then that's when, that's when we can see what is good and pleasing and perfect despite the most frustrating and painful experience we may be dealing with in the moment at that time. So as we start this whole Rules of Engagement series, we start with our minds. We start right here with our thought life. Are we willing to take every thought captive, filter it through who Jesus is, through what purpose and plan we know that God has for to, to give us a hope and a future, even if that means weathering a storm that we weren't prepared for? Would we win that mind game that is raging on in our hearts and in our brains because we know who God is and how much he loves us? It sounds really simple, but it's extremely difficult to practice on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis. Extremely challenging. But if we can get proficient and having our minds reflect who Jesus is to the best of our ability, that's going to be the game changer that we've been waiting for. That inner narrative and dialogue that's been negative for 10, 15 years will change. That frustration and pain and bitterness that you've had over an experience that's long past will change and shift. You will find freedom, you will find hope, you will find meaning, you will find purpose in the middle of all of that storm and chaos, if you allow Jesus to bring hope and life in the middle of that thought, if you are willing, if you allow it to bring unity, if you repent where you need to repent, change the way you think, and focus on what is good and pleasing and perfect at all times and in all ways. We're in a battle. We're in a battle, one that has great victory in front of it. 
if we would trust what God wants to do in us and grant us freedom even in our own minds. Let's pray. Father, I confess that it's not easy at times to talk about hope in the midst of darkness. I confess that it's frustrating, Father, when we can't see the perspective that you have on the pain and the tragedy and the frustration that we are dealing with. But here's what I know to be true, Lord. I know that yours is the victory. I know that you have what is good, pleasing, and perfect in mind for us. I know that there's freedom from the way that we have thought for years and years and years and years. These untrue patterns. So Lord, I ask in these next few moments that you would grant freedom. You would grant freedom from painful moments and memories that have created shackles and fortresses and chains around our hearts, our brains, our willingness, our desire to even know you or anybody else. I pray for healing in those moments that we have, we have made decisions where we're not going to let anybody get close again because it's too painful. Or we're not going to trust you again because it's too hard and it's too difficult. Or we're going to play the game but actually not be real with you in our relationship, Christ Jesus, because it's just too hard. So I pray for freedom in those moments. I pray, Lord, that the root of bitterness in our hearts and our minds would not produce any sort of fruit, but would instead wither and die. I pray that forgiveness, hope, and purpose would replace all the negativity, confusion, disillusionment, and frustration that we might feel. Father, without you, we're never going to win. So here today, in this moment, I know I choose you. And I know many others are declaring the same thing in their heart and in their mind. Would you deliver us? Father, I ask that you bless and protect us. You make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us, that you give us, give us your patience and your peace, even in the most difficult and challenging of scenarios. Father, we trust you above all. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, 
This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. If you noticed in that passage of scripture, Jesus was preparing to have a meal with his disciples. It was the last meal that he was going to eat with them. And he said, it's the passage of scripture says he was eager to be with them. He was eager to have this meal with them. When we think of this communion, we think of the idea that Jesus is eager to be with us. The bread represents his body that was given for you and me. And when we think about that passage of scripture, it was a Passover meal. It was something that had been celebrated among the Jews for years and years and years. They recognized that the blood that was put on the doorposts, if you want to look it up later, in Exodus chapter 12, when they were rescued from Egypt, God was the one who delivered them. And Jesus was bringing this together with his death, saying that his death, was a substitute for us. His blood was a substitute for us so that we can be delivered from sin. And we take these things in remembrance of him. So as you recall, in the passage of scripture, when he took the bread and he broke a piece off, and I realize that in your, you have a little wafer of bread and you have to prepare it. And he said, take, eat this. And remember that my body was broken for you. After that, he took the cup and he said, this blood my, represents my blood that was spilled for you. You remember all the times in which you have sinned? His blood was spilled so that you can be delivered. You don't have to live the same way. Take this this juice in remembrance that Christ's blood was spilled for you.
we thank you, Jesus, that you so loved the world that you gave yourself for us. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.